Alright, hello everybody. Today is Thursday. Welcome to the show. On Thursdays this year, I've been doing a regular podcast segment about the disappearance of Donna Lass from 1970. A deep dive segment, if you will, just trying to examine the case from different angles to see what we can uncover, and maybe some new light will be shed on what happened to Donna Lass. And I think that this would be a great time, if you haven't heard the previous episodes, to just jump right in. I hope, if you haven't, that you'll go back and listen to the whole Donna Lass playlist that is available here. But I really think this episode would be a good starting point. In addition to looking at some of the playlists on the show, I would always want to remind you guys that you can download this program for free at Launchpad 1. There's a link to that in the description box. And it's under the same name, Black Box Online Radio, but the easiest way to find it is just to go to the description box and look at that link for Launchpad 1. That's the audio version, like a pure podcast. If you would like to download the video version of this show, you can use YouTube Premium, but you have to pay for that. Launchpad 1 is free, and you can be one of the thousands of people who have downloaded Black Box Online Radio for free at Launchpad 1, I can now say that. So, big thank you to everyone who checked out the show. And also, a great way to support this channel is to go over to Amazon.com and to look at the book Killer on a White Horse by me, Ned DeHaan. It's a novel, murder mystery, but if you're curious, you can click the link in the description box there. And there are so many wonderful things in the description box. There's even a Teespring page that has some merchandise, t-shirts, and remember... Being weird is not a crime. I'm going to introduce today's episode in a very, very long-winded roundabout way. This is going to be a time when the announcements are just going to blend right into the subject material. The first announcement is thank you to everyone who was visiting the episodes on the New Orleans Axeman. Big um, appreciation to you guys. Last week I didn't do a segment on Donna Lass because I was talking about the New Orleans Axeman, but there's several episodes about that case here on this channel. And I also did one on the disappearance of Gabby Petito. That is something that is very contemporary to 2021, and if you're listening to this in the future, Gabby Petito disappeared in the state of Wyoming, and her boyfriend Brian Laundrie became the prime suspect, vilified in the court of public opinion, if you will. And recently, her remains were discovered, and the authorities believe that it was a homicide. In that episode that I did last Tuesday, I was trying to answer a question that had been posed by Lionel Nation. Why is it that some missing persons cases receive an enormous amount of media coverage, and why is it that some do not? Because Donna Last disappeared on September 6th of 1970, and before the Zodiac Killer connection it really seems like there was not a strong investigation that was put in, or at the very least, the mainstream media certainly didn't have some type of nationwide exposure, a nationwide story about the disappearance of Donna Lass. And I can ask and answer one question. Why are we talking about Donna Lass today? Perhaps it is because of the Zodiac Killer connection. But I, in the Gabby Petito episode, I tried to answer the challenge by saying that I believe that the mainstream media prefers to zone in on missing persons cases where there is something that the audience can analyze for themselves 
or those are the ones that truly catch fire amongst the viewers and the listeners. If there's some type of media or there's some type of theory or some type of suspicious behavior that the audience can analyze and evaluate themselves, that's really what is um, making something widely distributed. For example, with the disappearance of Elisa Lamb, we had the video of her in the elevator doing some bizarre movements, and then people could think, okay, now why was she behaving that way? And yes, of course, Elisa Lam was found dead in the, um, rather close to the video from where her disappearance took place, and in the Cecil Hotel, which has since been renamed the Stay on Main, or with the disappearance of Brandon Lawson, it's not about video, but about a phone call that he made, a 911 call, and people can't completely decipher what he is saying. These are things that the audience and the viewers and the listeners can analyze for themselves. And with the case of Gabby Petito, which I was just talking about, her boyfriend left her in Wyoming and then just drove from Wyoming to his home in Florida without any explanation, driving her vehicle nonetheless. Then that allows people to think, hmm, why would he do that? Is that significant of any other type of behavior? Does that make him more suspicious in terms of a character? I mean, yes, absolutely it does, but just for this discussion, laying it out like that, when there are things that people can analyze, then I think the media really latches on more to these stories. And you'd have to wonder if there had been more exposure, more people looking into the disappearance of Donna Lass in 1970, then would people have had a better chance of finding her or finding out what happened to her. There are also a couple reasons why Donna Lass remains missing to this day. There was a hoax phone call, a prank phone call, if you will, that was made saying that Donna had some type of family emergency. It was made by an unidentified male. Now, don't quote me on this part, but I believe that there are at least two different people that were telephoned from someone saying that Donna has a family emergency. The landlord is definitely called. However, there I believe one was also made to the um to her place of employment and a security guard answered it, but I'm gonna have to go back and double check that one for next week's episode. But the point is somebody made a phone call on behalf of Donna Lass and it turned out it was a hoax. It was not real. There was no real family emergency. It's highly possible that it was the perpetrator, the person who was responsible for her disappearance. So I would just want to share one more, um, one more just little possibility about why Donna Lass's um, case remained unsolved for so long, and that is that it's complicated. I mean, it's complicated because there's so little to go on. I asked you guys in the audience, what series would you like to hear about? I said I wanted to do a regular deep dive podcast segment on Thursdays, and I listed out the choices. Um, what would you like to hear about? About the the uh, murder of Sherry Jo Bates, the murder of Ray Davis, or the disappearance of Donna Lass, and everybody voted overwhelmingly. I mean, many people voted overwhelmingly to hear about Donna Lass. I should say not everyone. I got a little ahead of myself. And when I began to look into the case of Donna Lass, which I was mostly an outsider to prior to this series, I was like, well, where do I begin? All right, I can see that she allegedly, if the 
boundaries were the same as they were today. Her apartment complex is in presently in South Lake Tahoe, California. Her place of employment is in State Line, Nevada. She had just recently moved into the apartment complex called the Monte Verde Apartments on Pioneer Trail, and her car was found in the parking lot of the apartment complex, not her place of employment. Donna Lass worked the 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. shift at the Sahara Tahoe Hotel and Casino in State Line, Nevada. It still exists to this day, but it has been renamed the Sahara... It has been renamed the Hard Rock Hotel, excuse me, Hard Rock Hotel. Donna didn't bring her vehicle to work, so even if you get on some websites and people put out their theories, they're like, oh, well, she must have been abducted by her apartment complex. She must have been abducted by her car because that's where the vehicle was. Someone must have lured her away from her car. So the first thing that I was doing in this series was trying to find out... Was there some type of abduction and or altercation taking place at the hotel casino where she worked or at the apartment complex? Almost certainly, I think she was abducted or had said altercation at the place of employment, the Sahara Tahoe Hotel and Casino. In fact, I think it's nearly impossible that she was um, abducted by her car at the Monte Verde apartment complex, which is just off of U.S. Route 50. And um, the previous episodes really explore that more. But as I said, though, the um, announcements are going to tie into the episode because I would like to go to a comment that was left by The Shape on an, on an older episode called Zodiac Film. And um, I was talking about another uh, theory there. At least twice on the channel, I've asked you guys, if they made another movie about the Zodiac Killer, and I don't mean just like little bitch little bitty short film. I mean, like, if they made a movie about the Zodiac in a big blockbuster type way, and then, like, how exactly would that be presented? What would you want to see on screen? And The Shape says, if they did another film on the Zodiac, I think they should just make him what he was when he was a big kid, and everything that he did and wrote can be traced back to the movies into movie detective magazines and comic books. I think that that is an absolutely brilliant idea for a movie. You wouldn't even have to give the uh, person a name because, I mean, at the time of this recording, the Zodiac Killer is still unidentified. But imagine that. Like, we know so much about the Zodiac, like the books that he read, the influences on the letters. And I know what the shape is talking about. Like, imagine what would the life of this person be like as a kid or a preteen reading Tim Holt comics, or maybe you'd have some books on the shelf like The American Practical Navigator and so on, and all of these influences, Detective Story Magazine, uh, Charlie Chan at Treasure Island, the film Bloodlust from 1961, all of these things. And what is what are the experiences that this kid would have experienced? So, um, I think that that would be an excellent idea for a film. I did have one idea for a Zodiac Killer movie that I don't think I've shared with you guys on the channel, and it's not something that I would actually write out, and there's a specific reason for that. The first is that, well, the movie that I had in mind was, imagine somebody like you or me, just an internet sleuth, someone who is just looking into the Zodiac Killer mystery, and learning about the different suspects and the different crimes that took place. 
And then in this person's imagination, you would see walkthroughs of the crime scenes. And then someone would like visualize the murder of Sherry Jo Bates in 1966. And then they would start talking to Ross Sullivan totally in their imagination, but you would actually see the actors having a conversation and this person, whoever the main character would be, would be like, you killed her because of all these reasons. And then the actor that would be playing Ross Sullivan would be like, no, I couldn't have done that because of these reasons. And then you would have Lawrence Kane, of course, could be in there for the uh, Kathleen Johns incident. And then you could even have other suspects like Arthur Lee Allen walking through Blue Rock Springs Park and so on. But I think that's almost a little bit too complicated and confusing. And I thought of a better idea for a movie. I mean, better so says me. And I think you can guess what I would say would make a good film. The Disappearance of Donna Lass. That's why I'm talking about it now. And I would hope that it wouldn't get that title, The Disappearance of Donna Lass, that, yes, you would present it as a drama, crime movie, uh, a mystery, if you will, but I would hope that it would allow for a little bit more personality, either show Donna as a person, and then the disappearance is something that absolutely um, affects people in a certain way, and you could actually relay those um, feelings of human experience on screen. I think that would be really good. We're just trying to find out um, how this how this crime took place, I think, would be a very interesting thing to see on film, because I'll get more into the actual stuff I want to talk about today now. And I recently had a conversation with Mike Morford on the Zodiac Killer channel. There's a new series called Interviews with, an Ex with the Experts that is hosted by me, and I'm interviewing various people from the Zodiac research world, and I interviewed Mike Morford, and we had the opportunity to talk about the disappearance of Donna Lass, which is a possible Zodiac killer crime. Now, Morv has shared some good things with me, and first, I have to admit where I'm most likely wrong about something, and secondly, he has also interviewed Joanne Getschy, Donna Lass's former roommate, Donna Lass used to live in San Francisco, very close to the scene where Paul Stein was murdered. She worked as a nurse at Letterman General Hospital, and her roommate was named Joanne Getchy. Joanne Getchy was supposed to come visit Donna Lass for Labor Day weekend around the time of her disappearance, but there's a big, um, a big uh, mistake that I've been putting out to the world, so to speak, so I'll get to that in just a second. But um, when I was uh, reading Ray Grant's book, Zodiac Killer Salt, he said that Donna Lass moved to the South Lake Tahoe region because she was just a very big fan of nature, and she had this opportunity to work as a nurse in a different way. Instead of working in Letterman General Hospital, she was offered the chance to practically be her own boss. She's working at the nurse's station in the Sahara Tahoe Hotel and Casino, which is a mostly secluded place down a hallway. It's like a first aid station for the hotel casino. So she was doing the 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. shift, and I can get what he means when he says she would have been her own boss. Not a whole lot of supervision, which may have ultimately led to Donna Lass's demise. However, um, I can see the appeal in someone 25 years old who wants a job like that. I mean, you get the outdoors, you get the mountains around you, 
and it's going to be a lot more flexible and probably less stressful than working in a hospital in in San Francisco. So, to recap, there's something we have to alter to the timeline, because I said that I believe Donna Lass walked to work on September 5th. She disappeared on September 6th of 1970, but she's doing the 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. shift. She disappeared in the early a.m. hours of September 6th, so that means she would have walked to work, I mean... It's a 16-minute walk from her apartment complex to the hotel casino. So, I mean, she probably left her home at some time after 5 p.m. Let's just say that. I mean, if she's going to start work at 6 p.m., she walked wearing her nurse's shoes because they found those later in the nurse's station room in a bag that had muddied bottoms. So she would most likely walked wearing her nurse's shoes. And then she does her shift. At 1.30 in the morning, she sees her last patient. At 1.40 in the morning, she is last witnessed by Joan Bentley. At 1.45 in the morning, on September 6th, she is supposed to make an entry in her nurse's book, but the entry is incomplete. I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't want to entertain any of these weird theories about how she was grabbed by somebody and the pen trailed off the page. Not until I get a copy of that for myself. So the thing that Morph wanted to correct me on is she has a scheduled meeting with Joanne Getchy, her former roommate from San Francisco. He insists that, well, he heard this from Joanne Getchy because he interviewed her, that their meeting was supposed to be on the 7th, the next day. She was not supposed to arrive, or let, let, let me not get ahead of myself again. I, I shouldn't even have said the 7th. What he said was that... <coughs> excuse me, their meeting was supposed to take place later on. She was not supposed to see Joanne Getchy that night. So this whole thing that I've been putting forward for the longest time may have a little bit of an error in it. That yes, Donna walked to work and her car's left behind at the Monteverdi apartment complex, but I insisted that I thought this was because she had this planned meeting with her friend Joanne she was going to meet her by the blackjack tables because Joanne is driving from San Francisco. So I was like, okay, I mean, 2 a.m. is a little bit late for meeting up with somebody. But, I mean, it's possible you can meet up with somebody at 2 a.m. And then they were going to drive back to Donna Lass's apartment together. One of the reasons for the meeting was Donna had just moved into the apartment. She was doing, like, a room for rent for the summer. And actually... She had arrived in South Lake Tahoe on June 6th of 1970. September 6th is like three months to the day, more or less. I mean, it practically is, depending on the, depending on if you want to say that she was only seen on September 6th for one hour and 40 minutes. But it also it's very important because somebody brought up a challenge saying, Ned, you seem to think that Donna Lass knew her abductor, and that her, the abductor had prior knowledge of Donna Lass, and I, I absolutely thought that, but they're like, if the person knew that the friend was coming to meet her at 2 a.m., then abducting somebody at 1.45 in the morning is a terrible idea, because they don't know what that friend is going to do. They don't know if that friend is going to come knocking on the nurse station door at 1.46, 
that person could be showing up early, that person could be waiting outside in the hallway. That's a terrible idea. Oh yes, I agree. That doesn't mean that the person didn't have the knowledge that Donna had walked to work and left her car at home, but it, Donna wasn't waiting for her friend that night. Donna wasn't planning to meet Joanne Ketchy at 2 o'clock in the morning by the blackjack tables like I had previously thought. And I think that I had read that in one article at least, that their meeting was supposed to happen later on. But the problem is, as I said, mainstream media coverage, news coverage, if you do this, and you can do this yourself, if you look up articles about the disappearance of Donna Lass, I challenge you, read seven or eight of them from any sites that you choose, seven or eight different articles, you will find all sorts of different figures, different numbers, differences across the board. You will read that she was abducted on September 5th. You will read that she was last seen at 2 a.m., not 1.40. Everything you can imagine. You'll read that she worked in South Lake Tahoe, California, and she lived in State Line, Nevada. That seems to be blatantly false, by the way. So, I mean, I think that I had read that once, but I was pulled into this narrative that Donna had walked to work because she had a planned meeting with her friend Joanne Getschy. It made so much sense. Everything seemed to fall in line that, all right, it's a 16-minute walk. She's going out at five-something in the evening, walking to work in her nurse's shoes because she's going to change into different shoes while she's with her friend, and then maybe they're going to have a drink, and then they're going to go back to Donna's apartment. Okay? That made so much sense. And that somebody saw Donna walking into work, and that person knew who Donna was. Maybe there was some type of prior conversations that they had, and that person went after Donna because he, most likely but they knew that Donna did not have her vehicle with her. So that would mean that Donna was almost certainly in contact with her attacker. Her attacker knew her. Did she know the attacker? Well, um, if anything, I think that there's a new possibility to that. If Joanne Getschy was not supposed to be there at 2 a.m., then morph some initial post that I read off on Reddit. I mean, when I say initial, I mean I read it off in one of the early episodes. He believes that Donna knew her attacker, and her attacker knew her. That, yes, Donna was abducted, and what happened to her after that, I think, is still somewhat of a mystery. The only other plausible alternative that I could lean toward now is looking at how somebody could have done something to Donna in the hotel. Now, you wouldn't, especially if they knew that Donna had walked to work she did not have the previously planned meeting with somebody, then you guys brought this to my attention in the comments section saying somebody like a maintenance man, a custodian, maybe um, a groundskeeper, even a security guard, someone who would have known about a dead spot in the hotel, and then they could have murdered Donna within the hotel, and then the reason why there was that prank phone call is that person is buying time. Now, when I was reading off that quote-unquote initial post from Mike Morford, he talked about that very clearly. The only reason why somebody would do that, to the best of our knowledge, is that they wanted to buy time. They, they wanted to buy time for some reason. And my initial 
thinking on that was that Morph was talking about, okay, this person wants to destroy evidence. But when I was interviewing Morph on the Zodiac Killer channel, and as I said, um, it's called Interviews with the Experts, if you would like to hear it, he wasn't so much thinking in that way. It's really weird how like people can kind of um, have different initial reactions to things. He was thinking that someone was trying to get their story straight because they knew that they were going to be questioned by the police. I was thinking it was something different, that this person wanted to destroy physical evidence, like this person has done something to Donna. Now, if it is in the hotel, then they um, would want to completely destroy any possible physical trace that Donna was ever in this place in the hotel. Like, we're talking about some place like a boiler room or something, a dead spot that isn't going to be under close surveillance. And um, somebody, one of you guys in the comment section as well, even said that maybe somebody hid her body in a garbage bag, put her in the dumpster, and then they were waiting for the truck to come by. And that's the reason for the phone call, buying time in that respect, destroying the evidence that a crime had taken place. Now, we aren't completely certain that Donna was murdered in the hotel, but it's an alternative theory that I think deserves a little bit of consideration unless I encounter something new and that could change my position. As I said, because of the misinformation that's been put out online, it becomes rather confusing, and I thought that I had the um, timeline down. However, I mean, her friend not planning to be there at 2 a.m. changes a lot of things. That means that it's much more likely that Donna knew her attacker and her attacker knew her. What does that mean? It's probably both um, of those that the person wanted to buy time, the person wanted to get their story straight, the, as well as even the person wanted to destroy physical evidence. Morph also shared some things with me in the interview about how Donna Lass was dating people, and there's nothing wrong with having a boyfriend or a summer fling. If I understood the way he uh, presented it, it seemed like during that summer of 1970, she may have been seeing more than one person, like not at the same time or anything to the best of my knowledge, but you know, like a short fling here, short fling there, that means she had ex-boyfriends or ex-partners or something like that. Again, nothing wrong with that, but maybe someone like that was expecting that they were going to be questioned, so they were um, trying to get their story straight about what happened to Donna. And I think that, that I mean, that's highly possible. Do we know 100%? No, it's an unsolved case. There are very little clues to go on. And there isn't this overwhelming piece of um, media that if you only analyzed it the right way, it would reveal all the answers to the case, like a, a recorded 911 call or a videotape or something. That stuff just isn't present with the disappearance of Donna Lass. I think the Zodiac Killer connection is looking weaker and weaker day by day. And perhaps Donna was murdered by somebody in her inner circle, but here's the thing that Morph and I truly seem to agree on for once, and that is that if Donna Lass were murdered by just an opportunistic predator, there would be no hoax phone call. There wouldn't have been that prank phone call because someone would be going to a greater length to insert themselves into a crime that there would be no need for that. They would, that would, they would be creating a problem, not solving a problem. Because 
some of the theories that have been tossed around, even in the comments section on Black Box Online Radio, have been that it doesn't have to be somebody like a security guard or a maintenance man. It could have just been a regular gambler at the casino. Or, and someone even said that, okay, not a regular gambler, but someone who's just passing by, right? You know, an opportunistic predator. He saw Donna Lass, and he went after her at the opportune moment. It was 1.40 a.m., the dead of night, early a.m. hours. Well, if that were the case, then there would be no need for the phone call. I mean, why would you do something that could possibly incriminate yourself if you have absolutely no connection to Donna Lass? So the other point is that it could have been a guest in the hotel or something, so to speak. And um, some of the points, though, that you guys have asked me about that I still don't know yet, but I would like to get answers on, and that would be that, number one, did Donna Lass ever see any patients in their rooms? I'm not sure if she did or not, or meaning around the time of her, of her disappearance. Like, did somebody bring Donna Lass to their room and have like some type of extended conversation with her, and then found that they could, um, well, lure her back to a place like that? I think that was the comment that was connected to maybe somebody murdered her in the hotel and then moved her out on a luggage cart. As gruesome and horrific as that is, that's not my theory. Somebody else left that in the comment section. Just being clear. And the other question was, did somebody relieve Donna Lass at 2 a.m.? And I do not know the answer to that one, but I think that's most likely true. Because if you look 6 p.m. to 2 a.m., then there could be a 2, 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. shift, and then 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., like 24 hours in a day, three eight-hour shifts. I would expect that they would have had a nurse doing 2 a.m. to 10 a.m., so says me. However, I do not have, like, the personnel file. But one thing that was mentioned in Ray Grant's book, Zodiac Killer Solved, was that Donna Lass locked the nurse's room door. And, oh yeah, that's the next question that I wanted to bring up. I think it was um, Classic Chevy Cat who asked, did she have a nurse's bag that she brought with her? I would expect that she would have taken something, if the theory is true, that somebody came to the nurse's station at 1.45 in the morning, maybe 1.43, 1.44, thereabouts, and they're like, hey, we have this emergency. I, somebody's having chest pains or somebody can't breathe. They need medical help. And then Donna would grab something, lock the nurse's room door out of habit. I mean, that would take like seconds at most. And then she would hurry down to, um, down to the uh, area where that... Pl- fake emergency could have taken place and somebody could have done something to her. Many people, many people believe that's what happened to Donna. And another possibility is that she could have simply gone with somebody willingly that somebody she knew lured her to a place. And that's why she locked the nurse's station door. That's why I need to see a copy of this nurse's log. If you do any reading on the Donna Lass case, you'll hear that there is allegedly a nurse's logbook that has an incomplete entry where the pen trails off the page. I've never seen it with my own eyes, and I would truly need to analyze that. I can't seem to find a copy of it. If the pen trails off the page, that would seem like somebody grabbed her while she was writing, or somebody, as we said, came to the nurse's room station and 
was trying to hurry her off into a particular direction, luring her to a vulnerable place. In conclusion, I believe Donna Lash walked to work on September 5th of 1970 at around 5.25-5.30 in the evening. Then she did the, the shift mostly, normally. At 1.30 she sees the last patient, 1.40 she's last seen, and then 1.44, 1.45 maybe she begins the entry, and then something happens. Now, if she didn't have the planned meeting with Joanne Ketchy, it's highly possible that somebody had seen her walking into work, or somebody even had talked to her about walking into work. So the last point that I would mention is, I asked Morph this question. If she didn't have the planned meeting to see Joanne Getchy, how was she supposed to get home? And what he shared with me was that Donna Lass was afraid of the dark. That's something that Joanne had said in Morph's interview. And my interpretation of that comment, the way he said it, was not that she's afraid to be in a room without lights or something, afraid of the dark of night. So sometimes she would sit at the gambling tables, I shouldn't call them that, sit at the tables in the casino until it got light out. And I was like, oh, well, does that mean that she was just going to wait until it got light out and then walk back home? And of course, he said, um, he didn't know, to, to Morse credit, he doesn't like to speculate. I run my mouth like crazy online. That's how I get into trouble. But that could have been one thing. The other possibility would be that Donna was making previous arrangements with somebody to get a ride home. Now, that could have been another one. you think that would be more widely publicized in the 50 years since her disappearance, that someone was like, yeah, I was supposed to drive her home at um, 2 a.m., but she never showed up, unless that's the person that did something to her. So, there's some things to mull over, but... It does, um, there is that story that sometimes she would wait at the tables until it got light out because she didn't like going out in the dark. You can't blame her, a 25-year-old woman. Even if she lives 16 minutes away on foot, she's not going to want to walk along Highway 50 at 2 o'clock in the morning. Absolutely not. So I think that's where we're going to have to leave it at for now. I would really like to know an answer for that to that question. Was Donna planning to wait at the tables until it got light outside, which, you know, September 6th in Lake Tahoe, it wouldn't have been too much longer. I mean, maybe it would even be getting late around 5.30 in the morning thereabouts. Maybe a little bit more than that. Um, I'm not sure exactly, but maybe even close to 6 a.m., though. That would be four hours, though. That's a long time to wait if she's going to make the 16-minute um, walk, but... People are people do what people do and so on. I would love to know, was she planning to walk home or did she have a previously arranged driver? Like, did she know somebody that was going to give her a ride? Because that person would be really high on my list for being the prime suspect, so to speak. What do you think about anything that has been mentioned in this episode? You can respond to any of the questions that I've been going through. Why do you think Don Alas's case didn't get more coverage? What would be a good idea for a Zodiac film? Would you like to see a movie about Donna Lass? How would that be presented? And what do you think about the new Donna Lass timeline that she did not have the plan to see Joanne Getchy and instead 
how was she planning to get home? Uh, I'm not sure. But the final, final thing is that Morpha is going to be launching a new Donna Lass series. And I was asking him, is this going to be its own independent show or is it going to be part of one of the other podcasts that he does? And he says he isn't sure yet, but he's going to be doing a new series on Donna Lass, and I cannot wait for that. I think it's going to be very valuable. So please look out for that in the future. And as always, you can go over to the Zodiac Killer channel and listen to my interview with Mike Morford in full. Thank you so much, and until next time.